Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, we're going to go through verses 1 to 23 this morning. Have you ever noticed how much trouble human beings have at remembering? I mean, you know, our minds have this tendency to just kind of lose information, you know, and or we remember it wrong. Um, I remember a day at church, uh, back at Brookville Road days, and uh, Lori and I were talking to another couple, and we started talking about our kids, and um, the birth dates came up, and so one of them, you know, asked about Gavin's birthday, and I said it was October 3rd, and Lori said, no, no, it's October 4th, but I was so sure, I I was so sure it was October 3rd, because that was the day of staying in the gap in Washington, D.C., when a million men showed up, you know, over there to pray. And so I was, I was like, no, it's October 3rd. So I started to argue with her. <laughs> you already know how this goes, don't you? <laughs> I go home, I am sure. I look up, stand in the gap, and guess what? It's on October 4th. So I learned two things that day. Do not argue with my wife about her kids' birthdays. And my mind can forget some of the most important dates in my life. You know, so we have trouble... Remembering, and, and we know that too. There's pills you can buy to help your memory. You can put an app on your phone to, to, to increase brain function. You can put strings on your finger, notifications on your phone, post-it notes on your bathroom mirror. You can raise an Ebenezer. That's what that song, that's what that means. When they raised an Ebenezer, that's, I mean, Robert Robinson needed a memory. He needs something to remember. God's help. And so, and so do we. Now, all those things I mentioned, you know, they're kind of designed to help us remember simple things, you know, like um, where I left my keys or um, maybe uh, to get the prescription filled or buy the birthday gift, you know, simple things. But all remembering is not created equal, right? I mean, there's some memory that we do that's really important. It's the kind of remembering that after we look back, it causes us to live forward in an intentional way, an inspired way. So we're starting this new chapter in, in Luke's recorded history of Jesus' life. And on his timeline, on Jesus' personal timeline, we're just hours away from the cross. Just hours away. And so he is saying some things here that are just so important. Everything he says, everything he does seems so deliberate. And so it becomes so important to us. And so today it's all about remembering. We're going to look back at what happened and pray that that causes us to live forward in, 
in Jesus' way. So let's begin by reading those verses 1 to 23 in Luke 22. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chiefs and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where do you have a, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table... And the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be, who was doing? Who was going to do this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are very grateful for your word and your glimpse that you've given us into these last hours of Jesus' life, Lord. And as we as we begin this this walk toward the cross, where we'll celebrate all that happened every every week, we ask that your Holy Spirit would bring it alive to us again. That we could could enter into this history and make it part of our story and bring it to life in our life. We need your spirit to help us do that today, Lord. Without him, we can't do it. And so, Lord, we open ourselves up to you today. We ask that you would teach us, that you would speak to us, that you would change us. Because we're sitting here under this word. We This is, this is why we came, Lord. To be with you, to hear from you, so we can go out and serve you. So bless us now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so this chapter begins kind of setting up the time frame and, and the uh, conspiracy. And it's, it's going to help us or give us a chance to remember the plot. And that's the first thing we need to remember. So verse 1 begins saying, there was this feast of unleavened bread. It was time for the feast of unleavened bread. That was a feast that God instructed his people to keep back in Exodus chapter 12. It was a week-long feast where they didn't eat anything, but they didn't eat any bread that had yeast in it. So that's what unleavened bread is. 
They had no time back in the day to bake, uh, let bread rise, so they had to leave in such a hurry. And so God was saying, hey, here's a way to remember what happened. I want you to remember how I rescued you from slavery in Egypt and made you a people unto myself. And so Passover was the first 24 hours of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it was the first day of that week of the feast. It was the hope of every Jew that they could celebrate Passover in Jerusalem at least once in their life. In fact, to this day, um, when they celebrate Passover, at the end of the Passover, they say, next year in Jerusalem. Because that's what they want to do. They want to go there. And so this is a time in the city... Uh, of Jerusalem, that it's so crowded. It's, it's the most crowded it is all year. There's thousands and thousands of pilgrims who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So when Jesus rode into the city on the donkey, it would have been as crowded as it ever was. When he was teaching in the temple, the biggest crowds would have been there of, of any of all, all the whole year. And so in verse 2, his enemies are named there, the chief priests and scribes. We know about them. They hate Jesus. They want to kill him. But they can't seem to find a time when he's by himself so they can arrest him. They're afraid of all these people. And like, if we arrest him, it's going to cause a riot. So we can't, we can't get our hands on him. And then in verse 3, we're introduced to the other two players of this conspiracy. Satan and Judas. So Satan enters Judas, which has got to be the most extreme form of demon possession that there is. Hard to imagine what we like. To have Satan inside of you. I suppose you could be capable of, of any evil. Which may explain how Judas, one of the twelve, one of Jesus' friends, one who's heard all the teaching, he's, he's seen all the miracles, he's done all the ministry, somehow Judas got the idea to turn Jesus over to his enemies. Satan entered him. He met with these religious leaders to discuss how he was going to do that, how they could make this, uh, get Jesus into their hands. And verse 5 says that those leaders were glad. Here comes Judas, who's going to solve our problem. He's going to get us the time and the place where we can get Jesus in secret and do what we want to do to him. In Matthew 26, verse 15, Judas says to them, What are you willing to give me if I do this? And they agree on the sum of 30 pieces of silver. Now, a couple of things as we, as we look back on the plot. First of all, uh, Satan would not be able to enter Judas unless Judas had first opened his heart up for that to happen. Satan is not all powerful. He cannot just enter anyone. He's got to be invited in. And so you think, well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we open the door for Satan to come into our life or evil or the, or demons? Well, think about this. What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to? You see, it's very easy for us to just move our hearts away, just like we talked about in in worship, wander away from the throne of grace and open ourselves up to all kinds of things that the world has to offer. It's very easy to do that. Are, are the things that we're taking in, things that are helping us live unto God, to serve Him? Or do they lead us to temptation and sin? Do they cause us to fall? To open ourselves up to the other kingdom? 
I mean, you can open the door of your heart very easily by opening yourself up to the occult. You know, the magic. The Harry Potter. You know, it's not just a children's book. It's not benign. Have some wisdom. I know it's all fun and games, right? I've seen all the movies. I understand that. But listen, it's real. It's real in our world. It's real in the spirit world. YouTube. It can be used by anyone. And there's so much good on YouTube. But you know, I did a search on satanic worship on YouTube. And you can take part in the service. It is not a safe place. So be wise. Be wise how you live. Music. Music can lead you to all kinds of things. Opening yourselves up to being influenced by Satan. However the message gets across from the enemy, what is bad is good, and what is good is bad. That's the message. And we start to believe that when we take in all these things. And we wander away from truth. We start serving the wrong team. So be careful what you're consuming. It can be the way you open the door to the wrong team. A second highlight to keep in mind is the biggest way to keep Satan from entering your heart is to let Jesus in there first. (laughs) Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Look, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on our heart. I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends if you hear my voice and open the door. See, there is no doorknob on the outside of the human heart. You've got to open it from the inside. Satan can't get in without you opening it. Jesus can either. Born-again believers are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He takes up residence. When He's in there, there is no room for another spirit. And so Jesus is the one who keeps us safe from, from the enemy. So Christians cannot be possessed by Satan or a demon, but they can be oppressed by him. It's hard to imagine Judas doing this, really. What was it that opened him up to Satan? Seems that he used his love for money. That's what Satan used. In John chapter 12, verse 6, they noted about Jesus or Judas that he was a thief. He used to help himself to the money bags of the disciples. In uh, 30 pieces of silver, it's really not all that much money. But this plot is a grand illustration of 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You could write next to that verse Judas' name. A poster child for what happens when the love of money continues to be there in our life. So we've looked back on the plot. How do we live forward? What do we do? First thing is to know your enemy. Know your enemy. If you're a born-again believer, you've got to understand that Satan hates you with every ounce of his being. He is going to try everything he can to trip you up, to slow you down, and to keep you ineffective and unproductive for the work of the kingdom of God. He's working all the time with all of his 
minions doing that work. He's going to try to oppress you, and he will try. Now, keep in mind, he is a covert operator. All right? he, he doesn't come at us, you know, full on. He works behind the scenes. I mean, even in this biggest plot against the Son of God, he doesn't possess the enemies that are trying to kill Jesus. He goes after one of his friends. He's not working on the front line. He's working in the background. He's working in the dark where nobody can see him until it's too late. The Bible says about Satan in 2 Corinthians 11.4 that he is an angel of light. In John 8.44, Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning. And has nothing to do with the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. The Bible calls him cunning. A fallen angel. A thief who comes to steal, kill and destroy. So we got to know our enemy. It's one way to live forward. Another way is to know our weakness. Know our weakness, because I I want you to know this. Satan, Satan knows your weakness. And he will try to come at you, and he will tempt you with just the right set of circumstances to be able to get you to fall. That's what he's up to. And he's cunning. He's good at it. Whatever trickery he can to get you to fall, he's going to do that. So we want to be wise about our life. We want to know our weaknesses. Listen, men, if you tend to fail... When you're after your wife goes to bed, you know, like when you're free to watch whatever you want, where you can go wherever you want on the internet, if you tend to fall after that, just go to bed with your wife. You know, don't put yourself in the situation. Be wise about your life. If you're prone to drink too much, stay away from the places where you go drink. Just don't go there. Leave it in your past. It is not worth it. Satan will be there to meet you at the bar. He will be there. If you have a love for money, there's only really one thing you can do to break that love. And that's to give it away. Give it away. Give it to this offering box. Give it to a good cause. I don't care. If you've got a love for money in your life, it's the root of all evil. You don't want to go the way of Judas. Give it away. Confess it to God. Tell somebody else so they can walk with you to freedom. I mean, we cannot mess around. If food is your problem, if you tend to overeat... If it's causing your health to be deteriorated, you know what? Start with prayer and say, God, I want you to be my comfort food. I want you to be what I desire more. And then you know what you want to do? Every week, skip one day breakfast and lunch and let your hunger remind you of your love for food. Get serious about this. Know your weaknesses so you can take measures against Satan and his schemes. And then the last way to live forward is to know your strength. Know your strength. When you look back on this plot, you know what you should say? That could have been me. That could have been me. I could have been Judas. The worst thing you can do as a Christian is to try to take on Satan in your own power. To resist him on your own. That's why James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's an order there that's, that's important. First we submit to God, then we resist. See, on our own we don't stand a chance. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. 
We need to put on the full armor of God that God has provided for us to be able to fight this war. Here's what the armor of God is, Ephesians 6, 14 to 17. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We, we need to put that on in this fight. We don't want to be strong in our own strength. We're weak. We're weak. Look back on the plot. Live forward. Know your enemy. Know your weaknesses. Know your strength. Verses 7 to 15, we're going to remember the place. Verse 7 puts us at the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread when the Passover lamb is sacrificed. And so that means that the meal preparations need to begin. And so Jesus has been planning for this special time. And he sends Peter and John to go prepare the Passover. And they ask him, hey, where do we go? And he says, go into the city. And when you go, you're going to to run into somebody, uh, a man carrying a water jar. And that would be an unusual thing because that was something that was normally reserved for women to do. So he would stand out. So when you meet this man, follow him. It's going to take you to a home. And when you get there, ask the master of the house where the room is that the teacher can come and share Passover with his disciples. So um, Peter and John, they go, and everything happens just like Jesus had arranged. I was thinking, you know, <clears throat> the upper room may be one of the most famous rooms in the history of the world. You know, maybe more well known than than any other. I mean, it's a place where so much meaningful stuff happened up there. So much meaningful things. And the place where Jesus gives his final instructions to his disciples, where he encourages them to stay the course even after things go bad. So here in verse, uh, oh, back so back then, you know, for us it's it's like a, a big deal, upper room. We say whoa, but back then an upper room was pretty common. It was very common for a rabbi to go and make preparations to have Passover in Jerusalem. He'd find an upper room. Houses were built with an upper room on top. And it was just for that express purpose, to have a meal together. And so a rabbi would do that. He would gather his disciples and they would spend Passover together in this special, intimate time. And so verse 14, it said, when the hour came, Jesus reclined at table. Now, when they did special meals, it was their custom to, to lay down at the table. And so their feet would be extended out behind them. They'd lean on one elbow and eat with the free hand. That's, that's how they did that. So that's why it says re, they reclined at table. <clears throat> so Jesus speaks up in verse 15. He says, you've got no idea how much I've looked forward to eating this meal with you guys before I suffer. In fact, it's the last time I'm going to eat it until the kingdom of God comes. So we look back on on this place. How should we live forward because of it as we remember this upper room? You know, we often say that Christianity is not a religion, but it's a relationship. Right? There's no other God in any other religion who is available to know personally but our God. None other. Our God. The Almighty God. 
The creator of the universe. The only living God. He desires to walk with us and talk with us and to know us and us to know Him. I mean, let that sink in. God created us because it gave Him pleasure. He was pleased to do it. And He is a personal God. And He's created us with the capacity to know Him personally. You know, God didn't need us. You know, He didn't need us to do anything for Him. God is all-sufficient in and of Himself. He didn't need us. He wanted us. And you are created fearfully and wonderfully to know Him. To walk with Him. And we see Jesus, He makes these plans ahead with the disciples in this intimate setting where they could celebrate without the eyes of the public on them. God planned you ahead. He planned you ahead. He dreamed you up. Knitting you together in your mother's womb. He couldn't wait to know you and enjoy you. To sit with you. Do you have a special place that you can go to meet with God? Do you have a a regular appointment that you go into His presence and you sit there with Him? If you do not, you are missing out on the relationship that you were created for. When you're in His presence, there's peace. Instant peace. When you're in His presence, there is comfort. As you cry to Him, in His presence, there is strength for your day. Do you have a place? I mean, just imagine. Just imagine this. You're sleeping. You go to bed tonight. And God is watching over you. And He is exercising His patience because He cannot wait for you to wake up and come to that special place and meet with you. Do you think like that? The God of the universe is waiting for you to come. He's there already. This is the opportunity we have when we are in Christ. An opportunity God made possible with the highest price ever paid, the death of His own Son. So look back on this place and see how Jesus showed us his, how He planned in His heart and know that's how we should live forward with Him. There were some early African converts to Christianity who were really regular in their daily devotions. Their time of prayer. And what they would do, is they had this thicket, and they'd go out in the thicket, this tall grass, and they each had this spot where they would go and pray to God, spending time with Him. And so, in their regular devotions, their, their path to their spot would kind of get worn down, so the grass wouldn't grow. But every so often, 
One of them got a little negligent in, in showing up to his place. And the others could see that, uh, you know, the path wasn't looking so worn. And so they would always kind of encourage the, the negligent brother and say, Brother, does the grass grow on your path? Calling them back. Don't miss the golden opportunity we have of knowing God in a personal way. Spending time with Him, soaking up His Word, having conversation with Him in prayer. Jesus has paid a high price for it. Don't let the grass grow on your path. Now in verses 17 to 22, Jesus uh, begins to give some new meaning uh, to this special meal that the disciples had eaten every year since they were born. So it was an annual thing. Today this Passover meal is called a Seder meal. And in that Seder there's special foods that are eaten, words that are said, sung, prayed uh, by a leader and by every, every participant. I wanted to read to you from Exodus chapter 12 when God instituted Passover. Verses 1 to 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses and a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of, of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it. With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So that's where it came from. And that's why it came. It's a memorial meal given by God to his people to help them remember their rescue from the land of Egypt and slavery. And you heard in there that they had a, uh, they would kill a spotless lamb and that they would cover the doorposts of their homes with its blood. So when the destroyer came through Egypt um, to kill all the firstborn, 
uh, he would pass over the houses that were covered by the blood of the lamb. So the reason that we are remembering the Passover is because within this ceremony of the Seder, there are symbols that point to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus leads this Seder meal. He's, a le- he's the leader. He would be the one directing it. Um, in verse 17, it starts like any other Passover started. He took some wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He would have said something like this. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. We thank you, God, for giving us the gift of festivals for joy and holidays, for happiness. Among them, this day of Passover, the festival of our liberation, a day of sacred assembly recalling the exodus from Egypt. And then he passed out the wine to his friends and said, take take some of this. Now, during the Seder, all the way from start to finish, participants are asked to drink four times. Okay, four times is take this cup and drink. And so right here would have been the first time they would have taken a drink right here and they would have said a thanksgiving prayer uh, to God. And as the order continues, Jesus would have begun to explain the the elements of the Seder meal, some of the things that were there, a shank of a lamb bone, bitter herbs, and the unleavened bread. He would explain the meaning of that. And then in verse 19, it says Jesus took some of the unleavened bread. It's called matzah today. And he thanked God for it, saying something like, We praise you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. We praise you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us and commanded us concerning the eating of unleavened bread. And then come the instructions to eat. But this time, for the first time, Jesus adds these words, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this In remembrance of me. Whoa. We're talking about thousands of Passovers. And now things are different. These are words the disciples would have never heard before. Jesus is connecting his life to the Passover meal. Now it says in verse 20, after supper he took the cup. So this would have been the third time that participants took a cup to drink. And this cup is known as the cup of redemption. And when Jesus says, hey, take this cup and drink, he then adds some more words for the first time. This cup you're drinking is the new covenant in my blood. Whoa. What were the disciples have been thinking? What is Jesus talking about? The bread, his body, the wine, his blood, a new covenant? What's all this mean? See, they couldn't couldn't get it yet. They didn't know what was going on. But we, since we're looking back, we know. We know that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sin of the world. And when we believe in Him, we are coming under the blood of God's Lamb. Having our sins forgiven. And so when the day of judgment comes, when God's wrath comes, the destroyer will pass over all hearts that are under the blood of the Lamb. (laughs) Whoa! 
is amazing. Can we get it? You know, God gave the Passover meal to his people to remember their rescue from slavery. Jesus gave us the last supper to remember our rescue from sin. And we need rescued. Don't we? But this gets even more amazing. You ready? He keeps going. Verses 21 and 22, he says, I tell you, the hand of him who will betray me is on the table with me. Son of man is going to die according to plan, but woe to the man who betrays him. And the disciples start asking, who, who do you think it might be? They even start asking Jesus, is it me, Lord? Judas asked Jesus that. You know, the looking back that we're doing, it may be the most familiar to us because we try to practice the Lord's Supper and remember His sacrifice once a month. Maybe a little different as we nestle it in Passover here. Um, but how can we live forward because of this? You know, one of the great challenges as a believer is that we would not get used to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy One of Israel, the perfect spotless Lamb of God, was broken and had His blood poured out for my sin. For my sin. I don't want to get used to that. So when we hear about the hand on the table, what we ought to remember is that hand is mine. Not only could I have been Judas, I am Judas. So when I come to the table and the hand takes the bread and the cup and we kneel down and we pray and we remember and we celebrate the sacrifice that was done for us, it's the betrayer's hands holding the elements. And Jesus knows that. And He still took the cross. I mean, what kind of punishment should we get for betraying the Son of God daily? A cross. But He took my cross. He took my nails. Amazing love. How can it be that Jesus Christ has died for me? We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today as we close the service. But before we do, we're going to spend time looking back. Looking back so we can live forward. We need to remember here before we come. So i got a song. This to play over us. Read the words on the video. Just a song to help us remember what we're about to do. Let's watch. And if you're here today and you need to come under the blood of the Lamb, I want you to know today is the day of salvation. And we're going to have communion up here at the altar. And, and I want, if you're ready to believe in Jesus, if you're still doing life carrying the weight of your sin and a fear of punishment down the road, this altar's for you this morning. If you want to believe in Jesus, I invite you to come. Come and just talk to God and say, I believe in you. I'm sorry 
for my betrayals. Please forgive me of my sin. Jesus, come into my life and make me a new person. And then take the bread and take the cup. And when you do, know that your sins are forgiven. And you'll walk out of here a new person to a new life of following Him. You know, the Passover meal was a very relaxed, slow time. It wasn't a meal that they ate in haste like they did the first one. So we want to do that today. As you come, the elements are over here on the sides. When there's room, come on up and spend time at the altar. You can sit in the front row. You can return to your seats if you want to. But what we're here for is remembering. Take the bread. Take the cup. His body. His blood. My hand. Let's pray. For this is what the Lord himself has said about his table. And I've passed it on to you before. That on the night when Judas betrayed him. The Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks to God for it. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said. Take this and eat it. This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying. This cup is the new agreement between God and you. That has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat this bread. And drink this cup. You are retelling the message of the Lord's death. And he has died for you. Do this. Until he comes again. Father as we come to your table today. We are reminded more than ever. From these verses. That we have read. Of how much you love us. And this is a, this is a love feast. Where we come. And are mindful. Of the sacrifice that was made. Made for people like us. We come with full hearts, with gratitude, with worship. Meet us here, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.